Welcome, this is Coppercast, a show dedicated to exploring the wonderful, if somewhat technical, world of institutional investment and crypto assets. I'm your host, Tyler Kenyon, and our guest today is Stanley Kulichov. Stanley was born in Tallinn and raised in Helsinki. He studied law at the University of Helsinki and has worked in a variety of roles across the legal and fintech sectors. But in 2016, it was his fascination with contract law and specifically a desire to make them more efficient that led him down the rabbit hole of Ethereum and smart contracts. From there, he launched a proof of concept called ETHLEND, and five years down the road, this has led to Aave, one of the largest and most widely trusted protocols in the DeFi space. Stanny is the founder and CEO, and he joins us today. Hello, Stanny. Hey, Tyler. <laughs> so in your... Um, the show and tell segment that we do uh, before recording this, and you can see it on YouTube. Uh, we talked about total value locked in DeFi and specifically total value locked in Aave, in the Aave protocol. Um, can you just give us a, a reminder of sort of, you know, how that's exploded in growth over, over the last year? Yeah, I mean, uh, total lock value has been kind of like, it's this uh, magical kind of like a concept on, on how much uh, how much value you have locked in a smart contract. So, in one way, it's a way to measure how people are trusting what you're building and kind of like how secure it is. So you can build smart contracts that are very secure or smart contracts that are not that secure. And and practically, I, I guess like uh, we always had like some value locked uh, for a few years, like uh, a few millions. But I guess like last uh, January, so 2020, January when we launched our Aave protocol, Practically since then, the value has grown quite substantially. So it started from zero, and now it's above four billion. So uh, yeah, it, it just shows how DeFi has been growing, but also Aves been growing quite substantially. So we went from zero to being the biggest, like secondary uh, market lending protocol in decentralized finance. That's a huge accomplishment. Um, so give yeah. give people a little bit more context to what Ave is then. So uh, in essence, it's, it's practically a way for the users to deposit cryptographic assets uh, into smart contracts and without giving custody and earning uh, interest yield. And typically users are depositing, let's say, Ether uh, wrapped, Ethereum wrapped Bitcoin uh, and stable coins. And stable coins are the biggest kind of like uh, assets that are yielding quite a lot. So you could uh, receive uh, average eight percent nine percent yield on stable coins for the past let's say 30 days uh, that has been the um, the kind of like a uh, average and that's pretty awesome if you compare that stable coins are usd uh tied kind of like a uh, cryptographic assets and we're now in the this uh low interest environment in traditional finance or negative in some regions so practically that's a big value proposition especially to institutions and What's cool about Aave is that when you deposit, you can also, uh, you, you have a credit line, so you can actually borrow another asset from, from the protocol or delegate the credit line to someone else. And do you get a sense of, um, I mean, four billion is a huge amount to get to in, an, in a, under a year. Uh, what's like the average deposit? Like, is it mostly individuals who are putting in a couple grand? Is it, you know, mostly institutions putting in a couple million or tens of millions? What's the average Aave user look like? Well, when I look at the kind of graph of, of graph of uh, deposits, like you see, like some of the deposits might be small. By small, it's it's practically a few thousands of dollars worth. And but then again, there might be like ten million, five million, and it's just it, the range is like very wide. And I, I think like average on average, you you should deposit something uh, 
probably like like tens of thousands like then you earn substantial interest but uh if you think about the the protocol and what we're trying to achieve is is more of like uh democratizing the rates because the cool part about the other protocol is that you know anyone who deposits there let's say i deposit here from uk uh someone deposits from let's say singapore brazil everyone will have the same rate so, so practically you have a democratic interest rate market there and it works in a way that uh let's say if i deposit usdc i get in return a usdc so so the deposits are tokenized the way we kind of like technically implemented it is that those AUSDC balances grow wherever you're storing uh, that kind of like interest bearing tokens. That's where like practically it's, it's kind of like uh, A tokens are, uh, I would say, permissionless global savings account. It's, it's quite complex, but it's actually a very simple thing. You, you just practically see that your uh, tokens are growing ba- balance in your wallet. It's a nice thing to see these days. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, usually it goes to the opposite direction. So. <laughs> yeah. so if, I mean, people have been speculating about institutions getting into the crypto space and that's sort of, I mean, everyone accepts that that's now happening. And then, you know, DeFi seems like a little bit of a newer space. And for at least the first half of 2020, I mean, we've had some clients describe it as a bit too frothy for, for them to enter. So are do you get the sense that institutions are still on the sidelines or they're now starting to just look at it or they're starting to actually invest in it and so that that four billion figure um from you know of 2020 growth you know 2021 are the institutions coming to DeFi, and what does that do to the total value locked yeah i think uh, the, the thing is that the the concept of institution is quite wide so let's say there are already institutions that are kind of like part taking part of the DeFi market there might be more hedge funds more uh, DeFi-centric VCs that have liquidity, you know, they can use some of the assets assets that are accepted in the other protocols, collateral, borrow liquidity, uh, various for various strategies. But also like the uh, DeFi is wide concept because uh, you know DeFi like all of the protocols are not equal in in terms of like the technology and what what they're providing. Uh, for example, like the the main biggest protocols, uh, they have a lot of value locked, uh, mainly because of the reason that they are putting a lot of effort into security. And security is quite important because, you know, the contracts are public and anyone can look at them and, and try to find exploits. So, for example, at Aave, we we, uh, we have five different kinds of security audits. Uh, then this kind of uh, formal mathematical verification that the contracts work the way that they are designed. And what's interesting here is that uh, for institutionals, it's it's very important for them to understand the risks involved uh, before they assess what what's what's the return. So one of the things that uh, institutions are doing is that they they, they definitely are interested in, uh, but they also need to understand like what would be their risk uh, to deposit and also how they could go from let's say dollars to let's say stablecoin uh, interest yielding stablecoin yields. That there is kind of like a bit of like UX issue in in this this terminology. Like uh, custodians are trying to uh, solve this and and copper obviously, and then of course like the risk factor, like kind of like is is the are the deposit insured and 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 to what extent and and so forth. But I guess like they they, they like for them it's interesting space. But uh, you know like all the stuff that happen is happening DeFi might not be their risk appetite. Mm-hmm. And for example, might not be even my risk appetite. 
I mean, <laughs> we've seen what's what happened like l- last summer. Some of the stuff that was in DeFi was pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, so in um, in your show and tell us something, you, you mentioned the DeFi summer, um, which was the first sort of explosive growth of total value locked into into smart contracts. What do you think was driving that growth? Is it purely the the, the macro? economic side of things like the all the QE that's going around in the world and you know the slow recovery of equities and bonds in the traditional markets following the the pandemic like what what sort of pushed defi summer to be a thing i think i think it's a combination of everything i mean definitely like the pandemic i mean people are now sitting at homes you know you you might be a bit bored so you kind of like you're you're more exposed like time wise into into defi space and crypto space but uh i guess like it's, it's a combination of a lot of things especially like the liquidity mining definitely has mm. has sparked a lot of kind of attention because you you practically bring liquidity you take the smart contract risk of a if, of any protocol in return practically you get governance tokens that that uh that are valuable in in that sense so, so people are kind of like jumping in and I, I think that's that's one of the things and of course like that the ecosystem has grown quite substantially so when we started building DeFi a few years ago. I mean, there wasn't, there was one decentralized exchange and, and you know, <laughs> there wasn't much you could actually do. There wasn't even stable coins. So now you have this pretty awesome wide ecosystem and you can do a lot of things and and uh, people call them in the space, like you have this money Legos. So, so you can build uh, by connecting different protocols, build new products. And at the same time, you have a huge amount of uh, developers building and also kind of like, a lot of users coming in, so that's like a perfect mesh. And do you see like uh, the, the differences between DeFi and, and CeFi? Like, do you see opportunities for them to work together more closely, or is it just going to be DeFi wins at the end of the day? Like, how, how do you see the relationship yeah. evolving? I, I think it will. There will be always kind of like CeFi. Uh, I, I I think it's the distinction between CeFi and DeFi is, is a bit of uh, maybe. Uh, too harsh because it's all about technology end of the day like there's there is the idea of decentralization but you don't need to decentralize everything and and DeFi kind of like uh, acts as a good uh you know back end for for what what for example uh, you know th- like this is a good comparison like fintech has been uh revolutionizing a bit the the uh, finance industry right but the thing is that fintech, for example, it really improves the user experience on the front end. So neo banks and, and so forth, they're actually making progress on 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 where banks should be in terms of user experience. And what DeFi is doing, it, it's it's taking like the back end approach. So it, it it looks like how the kind of like back end, you know, the transactions and everything should be on a distributed ledger, and and then kind of like when you have this like very amazing backend that is accessible to everyone and the liquidity is accessible, you know, anyone can consume it. Practically, you can build, uh, you know, gateways into that. And I think that's that's where decentralized finance comes because, you know, you, 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 you might have users that are holding uh, pounds, dollars, euros. And, you know, in, the, in that case, you, you, bet you, you need some sort of uh, uh, middleman in between. And it's also like kind of like how much you want to take like that security risk and and the cost of the blockchain. So I, I I would say like they will always exist, but you know maybe DeFi will eat the back end of of the system, but then there will be like more more opportunities in centralized finance to build kind of like user experiences and so forth. Do you think for the wider public, in in order for DeFi to become more uh, adopted, 
you know, the wider public needs to be able to understand it better because it's all, like, I mean, it's very technical. Uh, <laughs> are we about, like the back end of finance. There's, yeah. There's only a handful of people that understand it and maybe only yeah. a few more who are interested in it. Um, so, I mean, does it need to be more well understood or does it not matter because the people who are going to be building the systems understand it and that's enough and everyone else will just benefit from it? Yeah, so I guess like no one understands how banks works either. <laughs> yeah. No one understands how money is created, you know. So, so practically money is created in a way that, uh, you know, if if uh, it, it actually doesn't exist. So if you go to a bank, you get a loan, you know, let's say uh, half a million pounds. Practically the bank will issue the money, you know, based on the credit rating. So all the all the money that we have in our accounts, someone is paying interest. But uh, usually like mainstream doesn't know it and, and should not. I mean, you you should know it kind of like what's happening, but it's, it doesn't like stop you to participating in, in something, something like finance, right? So I guess like the the idea is that uh, going towards mainstream, you know, it's it's all about you know kind of like communications, user experiences, and end of the day, like if you use something like uh, some sort of like a neo bank, and and in the background those funds are going to DeFi, let's say to Aave protocol, uh, you know, whether the end user needs to know, I don't know, is it necessary? Because now if you do, if you use a neo bank or you use bank. Some of the funds are in locked in somewhere in hedge funds uh, and other kind of like investment opportunities. So, in the sake of transparency, yes, like you kind of like this all should be transparent. That's what the uh, Ethereum is doing and like kind of like blockchain. But like for to participate, uh, I, I don't think you need to. You don't need to know to to, to participate. Fair enough. I guess one of the other audiences, apart from the masses, that need to understand it is the regulators. Um, they're playing catch up clearly like all over the world on, on understanding yeah. DLT blockchain. And then on top of that, you know, DeFi gets thrown in and the changes in our space accelerate so quickly. And I mean, it's clearly outside of the, the comfort zone of, of most regulators in the world. <laughs> so, I mean, is this a potential real barrier to, you know, DeFi's continued expansion and a continued growth in value locked in or, mm. you know, the ability to build on top of DeFi and, you know, do you have the opportunity at Ave to engage with regulators and, mm. and help you know educate them and like show them how things are being done? Well, the thing is kind of like if if like you know the thing what actually DeFi does uh, very well it, it's it's practically like an amazing tool for regtech. So it's it's kind of like a killer app uh, for regtech in the sense that all the transactions are transparent. Like anyone can audit them, whether it's regulator market participant, uh, someone who is looking to build some sort of a uh, risk assessment tool. And, and, and besides that, you know, everything that is built uh, immutably or, you know, governed by the, let's say, some sort of uh, uh, token holder governance, you know, there is, there is a uh, security in that sense, you know, that no one changes those values uh, arbitrary. And, you know, in, in this case, kind of like it's a, in, in one way, it's a completely different system that we have now. So finance has been always uh, done in a way that you always trust the middleman. And the regulation over finance is based on that as well. So actually that, you know, when you give funds to someone for custody, uh, practically, you know, you need to protect actually not the consumer probably always to do stupid things, but also that they the guy that you give, you know, the, the funds, that they don't do anything stupid things. Like it protects also the users from the, bankers and the you know uh, finance folks and uh, and now we have a completely different thing because yeah, you, you basically can 
keep the custody, but you can also give it give the custody as well. And uh, from regulators' perspective, uh, I, I think kind of like I, I, I think there's a lot of self-regulation now uh, in in DeFi, and it's based on a bit of smart contracts, a bit of communities. But the thing is that the ecosystem is is uh, quite open in the sense that a- anyone can build, you know, anyone can build the next Aave uh, and so forth. And um, you know, it's a constant competition in in that sense. But it also that drives the innovation. But it also is a challenge because anyone can build contracts that are not like, uh, you know, they might not be very good. And you know, and, and if something happens, kind of like the blame doesn't go to that particular. Uh, community, but the blame goes to whole DeFi because it's it's kind of like the same thing as, as in cryptocurrency industry itself. You know, if, if there is some issue, like everyone who is associated with cryptocurrencies gets the blame. And in that sense, like that's why I'm always trying to say that DeFi is not equal in the sense that you know there should be more standards. So kind of like you sh- there should be some regulation, uh, especially like what wh- how to build these things. You know, what kind of protections you should put because. In essence, you could build protection into smart contracts. You can build limitations, how much you can deposit and what the contracts can do, actually. And related to this, uh, I, I think like regulating DeFi is very difficult. It's, it will be like regulating Bitcoin or regulating Ethereum. So practically, if you need to regulate something, you will need to regulate the services around it, which is practically exchanges, uh, uh, you know, third-party custodians and, and, and so forth. But uh, it's... Uh, that's that's my opinion. I think. But do you see it as being necessary because the next step or the next evolution of DeFi is the institutions, and for them, it's it's a requirement. It's a it's a non-starter. If, if you don't yeah. have it, we're not coming. Yeah. So so there's like one one road could be this that practically like, you know, if like DeFi could become like a backend in in the sense that you know uh, if you partake into decentralized finance, you deposit. Maybe you have you have to be regulated, or maybe you you, you can do those deposits without actually, uh, you know, being regulated the same way you are sending as a private person, uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum from one address to another. But I guess like uh, from institutional perspective, you know, they they start from the risks and regulation first, and that is something kind of like we we notice that some of the institutionals they're not comfortable yet to practically take into part into this uh, permission, permissionless ecosystem, but they would like to get those benefits that uh, DeFi brings, which is transparency, uh, settlement layers, and so forth. And this is where we are creating this kind of like a permissioned market where you have practically the same pool as you have in, in Aave to deposit, but it's completely separated and you can access it uh, uh, through actually kind of like this whitelisting format. So it has this kind of like a mini governance and, you know, it, 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 it all of the participants have practically KYC and so forth. So there's kind of like uh, options you can actually offer for institutionals to participate, maybe kind of like as a soft way before actually there is some clarity in regulation. You've got some sort of celebrity billionaires who are... <laughs> Yeah, you know, either holding Ave or, or looking at it very closely. Is it is it because of the, you know those security elements in, in the protocol that you've talked about already? Or I mean, how how did you guys you know <laughs> court the likes of Mark Cuban and? I think it's just Ave so cool that they they just <laughs> like it, you know, <laughs> inescapably cool. No, but it's I think like uh, maybe uh, some of the stuff relates why let's say Mark Cuban or Mike Novogratz uh, 
why they're kind of like looking at Aave. Uh, it's also kind of like the, like we put a lot of enormous amount of, of kind of like energy in the innovation and, and, and also kind of like the, the, always the challenge in DeFi is, is how do you innovate and at the same time you keep secure system and, and kind of like it's always like a, a bit of a difficult thing to accomplish. And that's something where we have our sweet spot that we have been very good. Uh, and of course, like, I mean, somehow like, uh, you know, now we see a lot of traction, like people like what we're doing and that's pretty cool to see. But also like, even though we, we get a lot of institutionals coming, uh, we're still like culturally off. So we do memes and we, you know, we have like a lot of community participation. So, um, yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the future of trading anything, right? <laughs> I mean, if you, if you look at equities and what's happening with GME, it's all about stonks and meme stocks and everything yeah. like that. So it's, it's part of our, it's part of the new culture of investors, I think. I agree. I agree because I mean, you know, uh, it, it just kind of like, it, it's a new culture and you know, it's, it's, it's an opportunity to actually kind of like create culture at the same time. And that, that's why, you know, things like NFTs become popular and, you know, it's, it's just like a complete new ecosystem. And it's it's amazing to see uh, institutionals and especially like this kind of celebrities uh, to get involved and interested in because, you know, it's uh, it's not easy to get their attention, you know. Yeah. And the fact that they they are interested in Aave as, as what, what the, the community is doing is, is uh, super cool. Did you know Mark Cuban was, was holding Aave before that? No. Read an AMA? Was that <laughs> a surprise to you as well? Well, I, I saw a tweet where he said something about... Uh, depositing into Aave and, and complaining about the gas cost. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mark. <laughs> so, uh, but before that, no, I, I, I did not. So uh, in, in terms of uh, some other celebrities, I, I might have been in touch, but practically I think Mark Cuban was totally surprised. That's cool. Um, what, what, what trends do you see developing in this space then over the next, let's, let's just say 12 months because everything happens so quickly here. <laughs> um, I mean, crypto had a big year last year in general. DeFi exploded out of nowhere. So is are the trends for 2021 a continuation of that or do you, do you think something new is coming? I mean, we, we talked briefly about NFTs before. I mean, is that going to take off and be the yeah. next big thing or what, what do you see for 2021? Yeah, so so first I hope that the, the, the kind of like... Uh, the, this good market conditions will continue because you know it's it drives a lot of uh, attention and also kind of like uh, it, it helps a lot of startups in, in fundraisings and so forth and it's 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 positive right but at the same time you know it's it's always difficult to assess forecast these things but uh, in terms of like technology and and things that are evolving I think NFTs are are kind of like a big portion of this year and I, I think it could be even on a longer lo- longer scale, it will be bigger than uh, what we're doing now with with fungible uh, fungible uh, assets. Because most of the most of the value, I mean, as Mark Cuban himself said, for example, that uh, what cryptographic assets are, it's it's practically store of value. It can be store of a memory, you know, store of something that is important to you. And um, for example, tokenized dollars, it's important to many of us. That's why they are uh, trading at one dollar. But there's other like there could be like memories of, of some some events. Uh, it could be you know, it could be art, cryptographic art. You know, people care more about the metadata in the future. Mm-hmm. And I, I think like most of the value is in actually non fungible items. I mean, 
real estate, art, everything. Like there's more value than it actually in, in dollars, uh, like fungible, like cash dollars. And I, I think this is going to be big, of course. Uh, and, you know, that connecting to DeFi will become something quite quite interesting thing to work upon. And of course, like, I, I think the institutional interest will st- keep growing. Do you think the whole um, Wall Street bets and Jimmy <laughs> thing was a, a distraction from the continued evolution of the space? Or do you think, you know, it brings people into our space a little bit more because they're looking at, you know, investing, you know, young people are looking at investing in different, different using different eyes, different lenses. Yeah. So they're discovering crypto and they're discovering, you know, DeFi through the attention that Wall Street Brett's brought to Jimmy or is, is it a total distraction and wish it never happened? No, I, I think I, I think uh, Wall Street bets. Uh, it's it, it's practically a, a. It feels like it's it's kind of like a crypto community lo- lo- like <laughs> lost into the 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 stock world yeah. world basically, and they're trading there. Which like it makes sense because you know there's so many things you can trade and there's a lot of businesses, and and DeFi is so small at, at the moment, right? But I guess like pretty quickly, the same people will be in 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 the cryptocurrency space and in DeFi. Uh, very soon, I, I, I definitely believe. I, I mean, especially with the Robinhood, uh, I'm pretty sure that they're uh, aware now about DeFi and that there's permissions way to trade. Mm-hmm. And I guess their challenge is that, you know, you know they're used to traditional uh, businesses, uh, listed businesses, and you know, DeFi space doesn't have that many. We have protocols, you know, we, we have, we have like, like, blockchain protocols but we have like decentralized protocols in DeFi with kind of like you know protocol business models you know for example our protocol it's generating fees already uh since the version 2 and other protocols are doing the same and i i guess like it's it's just too small for for and and too new but i i think this crowd will be end of the day here as well i mean it's just like a uh it's it's kind of finding a relative, you know, from somewhere that you don't didn't a know. Long lost ex- cousin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, one of the other communities that you spend a lot of time in is uh, the angel investing world. Mm. Um, tell us a bit more about some of the the companies you backed because I think mm. more recently there, there's a a couple of crypto ones. Yeah, uh, like I think Shell was one of them. Shell, um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, Shell Protocol. It's it's interesting. So practically. They they have a way of uh, swapping certain assets that are very close in pricing together, and in very efficient way with their algorithms. It's kind of the same same similar thing as as Curve. Mm-hmm. Curve is doing an amazing job. So so it's practically you could swap let's say stable coins uh, with low slippage and and or let's say one token as Bitcoin to another one, and even now you can swap in Curve A tokens. So you can swap ADI to AUSDC. So if you want to swap your yield position, and uh, I think it's a cool project because like they don't make any noise, but you know they're getting a lot of volume now, and also uh, Paraswap, uh, that's an amazing project. So so they they're from uh, Shell by the way. They're they're in Hawaii, <laughs> so it's it's pretty funny. And and Paraswap is uh, they're from Paris, uh, and it's 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 basically a Dex aggregator, and and you know they just released their version three. And with a lot of gas savings and, and kind of like beautiful UI. And what I like about projects is that, and you know, in, in the angel side, angel investment side, is that try to invest something that can keep up, you know, innovation. So 
for me, the, the, the current product isn't that important, but actually like what comes after that and after that and after that, you know, it's just like, because it's a journey uh, end of the day. And one of the interesting projects uh, uh, also I, I invested in advice is uh, Opium Network. So they do derivatives. Uh, and um, the cool thing about is that they can list any kind of a derivative. It's just listing a ticker, having some collateral requirements. And one of the things I actually recommend uh, to Andre, the founder, that uh, they could actually do even derivatives on, on let's say, Falcon X flights. You know, mm. every time they they uh, launch the the rocket, there is a lot of uh, other kind of like uh, projects having this ride sharing thing, and you know they have uh, millions worth of equipment there. You know. A lot of companies, so so practically you could actually sell in insurance in in derivatives. You know, if 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 it re reaches out to orbit, you know, the rocket, then you know, no credit default. But if it doesn't, there's a credit default. <laughs> <laughs> so you could do a lot of things actually. Yeah, and how do you how do you find these projects? I mean, what, what's your where where are you going? Because you seem prolific in the in the angel investing space here. Yeah, I mean, some of them. Yeah, I, I follow a lot of communities and I'm, I'm pretty active, you know, like I, I spend my day in DeFi <laughs> and um, uh, some of them, I, I just basically comes from chatting. Some are from hackathons. Mm -hmm. Some people just approach and I, I'm really open in, in the sense that, you know, I, I don't block anyone. Like, you know, if, if, if someone writes to me, I, I definitely read. I might not reply, but <laughs> <laughs> I might not have because I don't have the time, but yeah. you know, I, I definitely, and some of them comes from uh, venture capital. You know, there might be projects that have invested into Aave and, and asking me, hey, these guys might need some help and, you know, and can you talk to them? And it, I don't even know, like they, they just come. They, they pop like this. It seems like you have 25 <laughs> hours in your day and everyone else has 24. I don't, I don't know how you do all this. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> um, one one of the features that you guys are sort of known for is the is the flash loans. Um, mm. Can you go into a bit of detail on that and tell us more about that? Yeah, so there's the technical explain, explanation and the non-technical. <laughs> which which one? Let's we'll start with the non-technical, <laughs> and uh, maybe maybe if we need more detail, we'll go tech. So the, the non-technical is a bit techy as well, but <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but in essence, so how it works is that you know. Lending and borrowing is, is in, in DeFi, it's always like over collateralized, uh, mainly because there is no identity yet in, in decentralized finance. So practically you need to have collateral requirements, but there is a way to get the loan without a collateral and, and practically by taking a flash loan. So flash loan means that you can borrow all the liquidity you have in, in the other protocol. So all that for something billion in, in one single transaction. But the only condition is that uh, you need to return the loan on the same transaction. And that th the way it works is that, uh, this is where it comes a bit techy. Okay. <laughs> so, so that Ethereum settles, settles on each block, like block by block basis, and each block has hundreds of transactions. One transaction can have nested transactions. So one transaction could be like a, a transaction where you borrow from Aave, flash borrow, then you buy something in Uniswap and sell something in Kyber and then uh, return the flash loan uh, back to Aave and keep the profits. So this is so-called arbitrage. And if uh, the some of the transactions in between fail, so let's say you weren't able to sell the asset in the another exchange, all of those transactions will fail. So, so practic practically it will be like you will not even borrow uh, in, in the beginning. 
that is how like but if you succeed to do that you practically uh made an arbitrage without any upfront capital and that's how it it it, it basically works <laughs> <laughs> i don't think i want the technical this <laughs> definition uh, i don't think i'll understand it but how successful is like how often do you have a transaction succeed with all the nested transactions as well? So, uh, last year we had two billion worth of flash loans. So there is more flash loans than yeah, in in volume that there is any other kind of borrowing lending. And a uh, reason for that is that you know flash loans are used in not just in arbitrage, but you could refinance. You, you know there is a project called DeFi Savior, uh, Savior, and and they are based in I think in Serbia. So there's they're they're, they're developing. They they started by by actually allowing users to close their vaults on MakerDAO. So let's say before you get liquidated, you can liquidate yourself because if you get liquidated, so your collateral uh, goes uh, close what you uh, printed the die the stable coin. That means that uh, whoever liquidates you takes part of your collateral, and it can be thirteen percent. DeFi Saver made this product where you know you could press a button and you know you liquidate before someone liquidates you. And then they created this bot that can do it automatically for you. And they, what what was difficult for them is that they needed this upfront capital. And you can imagine, like uh, I think it was like two three developers first running the project from from uh, Serbia and and practically in their uh, early twenties. And uh, I don't know even if they're that old. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, you know, kind of what what flash loans are doing is that they don't need that upfront capital. They can just flash borrow from Aave. Uh, let's say the die uh, close the CDP the vault and get the ether sell part of the ether in in Uniswap uh, return the loan and keep the the user keeps the rest of it and pays some sort of fee to DeFi savers. So a lot of products actually have flash loans integrated and users are using them daily basis without knowing. At this point, down to the discussion like does mainstream actually need to know everything that's happening out there technically? And my answer is no. And this is the same thing like. Do we actually not need to know like what kind of a vault a bank has as an end user? No, we just care that you know the money is there and it's it's somehow like guaranteed or you know at least that no one can walk there just like that. And but I guess part yeah. of that part of that trust we have in the banking is because there's uh, a regulatory oversight that yeah. you know made sure the controls are in place, made sure you know funds are insured up to a certain point. And I guess that doesn't exist yet. In DeFi, it does, but it's the smart contracts. So, yeah. so, so, <laughs> so, so people need to be able to trust smart contracts. Yeah, or so they they need to have like smart contracts need to have enough like support that let's say enough uh, techie people has been looking into contracts and enough uh, professionals have looked into those contracts and said that okay, this is this is safe, and then there is a common understanding that those contracts are safe, and um, then then kind of like that's the. That's the, the the part. So how and, far away are we from that? Well, well, it's happening now. I mean, uh, in in our protocol, we had five audits, one formal verification. Normally, you do one or two. Like two is usually the industry standard. So we have very like we don't have good standards in terms of like you know people launch stuff with one audit or no audits at all, and mm. that's why it, it kind of sucks a bit. But you know, like um, as as time passes and we spend more funds into security, uh, you know, those standards are becoming more uh, formed. And long, I think may, so. long may it continue, I think. Um, yeah. Stan, it's been a fascinating conversation. <laughs> Thank you for coming in. Um, we've got a couple of questions that we ask everyone, if you wouldn't mind 
entertaining me and just whizzing through them quickly. Sure. Cool. Um, the first one, I think we've kind of covered because it's, you know, where do you see the industry in one year or 10 years? And I think that's sort of been our topic. Um, <laughs> so let me ask you, if you could change one thing about the industry, let's say DeFi, what would you change? Mm, I don't know what to change here. You know, uh, do you have any like pet peeves? Like what's the thing that bugs you the most about DeFi that you wish didn't exist? Well, the gas cost, it sucks. <laughs> like it's, it's like, uh, you know, like the thing is like everyone, it's open network for everyone. And uh, that's like, that's the p- whole point. But it sometimes it sucks to pay the, the high gas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Is there a piece of technology in your life that you couldn't live without? Mm. Yeah, I mean, maybe the phone. <laughs> phone, yeah, fair enough. Uh, what does your weekend look like if you if you get time off at a weekend? I don't know. What, what are you doing mm. other than DeFi and VC? And well, I play ice hockey sometimes. Yeah, and uh, cross country ski. <laughs> Did you play ice hockey here in the UK? No, no, in Finland. You have to go home yeah. to play it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, same. Um, so, what movie can you watch over and over and never get tired of? Mm. Pretty much anything. I, I don't know, but that's a hard question. You know, usually I watch movies at, at you know, late night and I usually fall asleep. So, so it's the, <laughs> the ones that are always on TV, like Shawshank and whatever. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I mean, that's a good movie, but I don't watch TV. I, I think it's, uh, it's just like this, I don't know, it's like Netflix has been doing pretty well, you know, <laughs> but I mean, like, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. There's, there's so many, so many cool stuff, like, I don't know what would be the most. There, there's probably a lot of, lot of cool movies. Uh, I don't know what would be the, exactly your go-to favorite. Yeah, I don't have okay. a go-to actually. I I just like I like to watch very diversely. I would say. Fair enough. Um, do you have any mottos or catchphrases <laughs> that you live by that encompass you? Uh, I don't know what maybe that describes. Uh, I don't know. Live fast. Live fast, don't die young, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, who should we all follow on Twitter? Mm, well, you know what? Uh, I, I think Mark Cuban. I mean, he's, he's definitely uh, definitely has good stuff, you know. And this is, I'm saying mainly because, you know, I, I never followed what, what, what he actually wrote, you know. But then now I've been looking and it may be like, like, Ave has always been a bit... Uh, we're never like being in this, you know, kind of like traditional way of, you know, startup from Silicon Valley and, you know, starting from there, getting all the traction and so forth. And Cuban finds things that other people don't find. And that, that's quite interesting. So I, I've been like actually now reading a lot of his stuff and, and uh, it, it's quite, quite interesting. And, uh, but other than that, I, I recommend to actually like not take my advice too much, but follow just, just the DeFi space, but the crowd in uh, what's happening in NFT and, and NFT space, you know, there's sort of interesting stuff happening. So, and if we want to find Ave on Twitter, what is it? It's Ave Ave. At Ave Ave. Yeah, someone took the Ave one and, you know, he didn't want to give us the handle and, you know, we were like, well, we'll do Ave Ave then. We had the same problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, what was the last thing that surprised you? Last thing surprised me. Um, last thing that surprised me. I don't know. 
You not, can take, nothing, you, nothing surprises me anymore. <laughs> to be after the year 2020, nothing is surprising. Yeah, I, I guess. I, I guess. Uh, I, I guess what what's what's surprising me is that I don't know. I I would say it, I, it's okay. This this is crazy actually. Like some some person called me and you know he, he actually found my phone number, called me and uh, he said that he went uh, <laughs> he went with me in uh, he was in the same class with me in third grade in, in back in Finland. And and he was asking about you know DeFi, NFTs and stuff like that and and it wasn't a scam it was actually something it was no I, yeah yeah I know the guy I mean I was <laughs> I was in the same class with him but I I haven't seen like from twenty something years you know and barely remember you know <laughs> the moments but you know these things happen so yeah. it's just that was that was very surprising that how how widely you know the ecosystem is is growing how connected we all are <laughs> yeah, as, a, yeah. as a universe i guess um okay who should be the next guest we have on coppercasts mm. who should we talk to I, I think you have a lot of choices uh I, I i think you could i mean yeah i mean you have a lot of choices <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it'd be great to get Mark Cuban in, but I don't know if he'll... Yeah, Mark Cuban could be good, but I, I, I think what could be pretty cool is to have maybe uh, Jeremy from Circle. Mm-hmm. Circle. So, I mean, he has a lot of vision for not just kind of like the USDC, but also like where the space is going towards. Uh, that's that's a pr- fairly interesting uh, guest. And also there is uh, Tarun Chitra. So he's he's doing a lot of uh, stuff on, on risk side, um, they have uh, they have this kind of like a um, team at Gauntlet that has been doing risk modeling uh, on Aave protocol and other protocols on, on Ethereum and in, in DeFi and uh, it's just like a lot of fascinating insights and yeah those okay. are probably my cool. choices. Um, if you somehow managed to meet Satoshi uh, and you only got to ask him one question, <laughs> what would you ask him? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, probably where the private key is. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Cool. Um, Stanley, it's been great having you in. Um, Thank you. And we hope you come back soon. Thanks, Tyler. Cheers. Cheers. To our listeners, if you haven't already seen Stanley's show and tell video, please go to our YouTube page or you can find it on Twitter at CopperHQ or you can find it on our website, copper.co forward slash insights. There you can also sign up for our newsletter, which goes out every Monday morning and includes links to all the week's top stories, as well as any updates from the wider team here at Copper. If you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, please make sure to give us a good review in whichever streaming platform you're using. And if you want to get in touch, you can always reach me, Tyler, on Twitter at CryptoTSK, or you can email me directly, tyler.kenyon at copper.co. If you'd like to be a guest on our show, or if you know someone who should be, give us a shout. We're here to talk all things institutional crypto. Show's only made possible because of the technical and creative wizardry of Ben Silvertown and Tally Spear with support from Maylee Mountfort and Eva Leela. New episodes come out fortnightly, pandemic pending, of course. Uh, and in the meantime, stay safe. <laughs>